In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us. Yeah. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, well, welcome. This is our first class on Mary. Um, I have to admit, I didn't really have time to prepare that much, but so it's going to be a series on Mary. Um, and the first image of Mary that I want to um, kind of introduce you to is Mary the New Eve. So um, early Christians, one of their titles for Mary was Mother of All the Living. Now, when I say that, you should immediately think, wait a minute, that was the title of Eve. But um, there's this thing called typology. Do you guys know what typology is? Okay, couple. So typology is if you read scripture, it's kind of obvious. God keeps repeating the same symbols over and over and over. So an example would be um, the new Adam. Christ is called by St. Paul as the new Adam, that Jesus is the new Adam. What does he mean by that? Well, typology is trying to see sim how symbols always work in Scripture. And just as, he says, the first Adam brought death, um, Jesus is the new Adam that will put an end to death. He's going to free us from death and give us a new life. But both Adam and Jesus are born without original sin because Jesus is the original blessing. And so you have this image throughout Scripture um, of G the Messiah uh, bringing us back to the Garden of Eden. How do you get back to the Garden of Eden? It's going to be through Christ. But then you have this typology that Mary is this new Eve. Both Mary and Eve were born without original sin. And you have to understand that because... Um, uh, like, just to explain this, I love this. I still, like, you know me, I'm a 13-year-old boy. I really have not matured much past that. Um, but, and I'm still laughing over this. When I was, like, in junior high, um, the gospel was um, the uh, uh, story of the wedding at Cana. And Jesus says to Mary, you know, they ran out of wine, and um, Mary says they've ran out of wine. And Jesus, in the English, it sounds like Jesus gives this grumpy response where he says, Woman, how does your concern affect me? It is not my hour. Um, and I remember as a teenager thinking, if I spoke to my mother like that, <laughs> um, and like I just was playing in my head, if my mother said, Clean up your room, <clears throat> and I wanted to say, Woman, how does your concern? It is not my hour. <laughs> it would be my hour. Um, but, like, that doesn't make any sense unless you know typology. You'd have to know, oh, what does he mean by my hour? So I'm not going to go over the whole thing, but my hour is when he's on the cross. The, one of the prophecies is that the, when, when, when the Messiah came, Christ would marry us that God and mankind would be married together. That's the hour. Does that make sense? When, in that, 
on the cross, he says, this is my hour. It's a wedding feast. So why does he say woman? Well, um, so just a quick review. Um, the story of Adam and Eve is actually a wedding. Uh, Adam, ha-adam is how you say the earthling. And the earthling uh, has his side split and community is born. So God calls him, keeps referring, saying, the earthling, the earthling. But after the earthling dies out of self-sacrificing love, that's what the split side means, um, community is born. The first family, Adam and Eve. And um, Adam calls Eve the mother of all the living. So early Christians called Mary the mother of all the living. And more importantly, after that, God calls um, uh, Adam and Eve humans. Does that make sense? So it sounds strange, but there's four words for person. Ha-adam is somebody who is human, but it means earthling. Does that make sense? Doesn't make sense. So I'll, I, I'll, like, let's say you have a baby. That baby, like, if you're Jewish, you'd say that baby is um, uh, an earthling. You know, it is loved, you love it, but this sounds kind of strange. You're only called a human until you can love to the point of death. So the idea in Judaism, you're born an earthling, but your real humanity is not born until you can love to the point of death. Does that make sense? Did I lose Anya? I can't tell. Did I lose you? Okay. So um, how you say uh, a human who can love to the point of death in Hebrew, it's ish and isha. You could translate that male and female, but it really means a male human and a female human. So isha, you translate it as either woman or a real human being. Does that make sense? So when Jesus says to Mary, woman, it is not my hour. Well, that's what it sounds like in English. But if you knew your Hebrew, he's calling her a new Eve. He's calling her a true human being. Does that make sense? It's not an insult. It's a compliment. It refers clear back to Mary. Does that make sense? Okay. So, um, um, so think about that. In that wedding of Cana story, just as Genesis begins with the seven days of creation, so does the Gospel of John. It begins on the first seven days. And the first prophecy the first sign that the Messiah has come is that there'll be a new wedding. There'll be this overflow of wine. Now, so Jesus, at the wedding of Cana, there's an overflow of wine. But that's not the prophecy. The overflow of wine is actually his pierced heart. Where, does that make sense? That's the real wine, is the blood of Christ. But the wedding, it says, the wedding happening on the third day after the fourth day. So it's the seventh day, the same day that Eve was created. So when he says woman, Jesus is calling his mother uh, a new Eve. So just as Eve was called the mother of the, all the living, so Mary, by the early Christians, is called mother of all the living. 
In the book of Revelation, at the end, when you have this woman clothed with a son, she has many children. She gave birth to the Messiah, but then it says that she has many children. We'll get into this later. But that means that who are many children? Us. So she's also named the mother of the church. And when Elizabeth greets Mary, she says, Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? When she's the mother of my Lord, she's calling the baby Lord, God. Does that make sense? So the other image, and I love this. Um, you'd have to, um, so I didn't, I quickly put out some, do you see how that, that image is supposed to be Mary and Eve? Notice how the snake is wrapped around Mary's foot. No, sorry, Eve's foot right here. But Mary is crushing the snake, the head of the snake. Well, um, luckily I am so adept at computers. Um, ah, dang it. Um, well, that's not what I wanted. Sorry, technical difficulty. Oh, there it is. So we're kind of used to this idea. Where that comes from is um, uh, in the Genesis, where it says, remember they've sinned, and the first prophecy, uh, in fact, it's called the first gospel, the first prophecy of Christ is in regards to the woman, where God says the seed of the woman would crush the snake. But the problem is, it's a really odd translation. It's a difficult translation. Because in one sense, the translation says, she will crush your head, the snake. She will crush your head. Or, and this sounds really complicated, you could translate it, he will crush your head. So which one is it? Is it a she or a he will crush the snake of Satan? Will crush his head. Which one is it? In Hebrew, you can't really distinguish um, the he and she until the book of Joshua. So in Hebrew, it's that's why there's a translation. Is it the woman that crushes the um, uh, snake or is it the child of the woman? And then when you get into the Greek, the Greek, clearly says he will. But in this odd way, it's both. Now, um, so did I lose anybody there? So which one is it? Is it he or she? Um, so really, it's both. So here's this. Oh, no. Um, here's this other one I really like uh, by this um, Italian painter. And when you see it, it's both. Do you get it? You have Mary's foot, but on top of Mary's foot, the one who's really crushing is the child, Christ. Does that make sense? So, oh, it's like that's actually more accurate. Um, and so here's the odd part. Once again, one of the typologies is crushing the head of the snake. So the in the book of Genesis, it says the snake crusher will come. 
The snake crusher will come and finally destroy Satan. So after that, you have all this. I want to have a whole class on it. This is just a little leader. But once again, I need some feedback whether I'm making sense to you. Um, Throughout Scripture, you have this constant theme of somebody crushing the head of the snake. And it's this great thing that every time you have some holy figure come up in the Bible, you think, ah, he's going to be the snake crusher. So it looks like Abraham is going to be the snake crusher. But I don't know if you notice this. Abraham, as holy as he was, he sinned, right? Remember the whole thing of telling his wife? Because um, his wife was so beautiful at 80 years old. He says, tell, tell him you're my sister. <laughs> um, and every, every uh, major figure who's really holy, you have this kind of, Crescendo, oh, he's going to be the snake crusher. And then you find out that, no, they can fall prey to sin. So, and it's really subtle. You'd have to actually know, really pay attention to scripture. So I'll give you a quick example. I love this one. But um, uh, like David, David really looks like he's going to be the snake crusher. And you think that because remember that story, I don't know if you ever heard of David and Goliath. Um <laughs> But Goliath, now this sounds kind of, there's also this theme of you can be seed of the woman, a child of the woman, or you can be a child of Satan. And like, oh, I got ahead of myself. Uh, well, no, Pharaoh, in one point, is pictured as a snake, and Moses consequence. So you think, ah, Moses is going to be the snake crusher. But he himself sins. And then you have David and Goliath. And at one point, you Goliath is pictured as a son of Satan. And where it's pictured is that um, it says he has armor, and it says the armor looks like scales of a snake. And if you're like, oh, is he going to crush the head of the snake? And what does David do? He crushes the head of the snake. Does that make sense? And so then you kind of think, oh, he's going to be the snake crusher. But... Did you ever hear of that Bathsheba thing? No, no, he's not going to be the one. Then you think, oh my gosh, it's going to be Solomon. Solomon. He's going to be great because Solomon, when he takes the throne, what he prays for is wisdom. And then there's these images that he's going to be the snake crusher. I'll skip over that. But then Solomon, he turns to greed. Now, he did want wisdom, and then he found money and women. And, um, you know, money and women, the root of all evil. Um, <laughs> and um, so over and over, you kind of think, oh, and there's always these little hints that, like, an evil person is the son of Satan. They have scales. It has all these other things. Um, and you have this theme of the head crushing. But here's the real thing I think is amazing. Um, Remember, um, here's the amazing part. Everything I just said was men. But also in scripture, you have all these women who crush evil. And hopefully you guys know this, but like the first and second I'm going to tell you is Jael and Deborah. So I love the story of Jael and Deborah, uh, where with Deborah, um, it says God raised a mother in Israel. So, 
Deborah is his true mother. Now remember, um, the seed of the woman, she's going to be a mother, is going to crush Satan. So it says, ah, she, uh, evil, Israel is getting attacked. And who's the one who defends Israel? Not the men, it's Deborah. That's the shocking part. And she's best known for this feat when it came to the, uh, Israel, who after 20 years of oppression, cry out because the king of the Canaanites is slaughtering them. And mighty Jeb, Jan, has 900 iron chariots. He has armor like scales of a snake. And he ruled from Hazor in the north. And Deborah, who lived outside of Jerusalem in the hill country, um, that should evoke another image, summons Barak and from the tribe of Natali. And when Barak uh, arrives, Deborah tells him God's plan. And I'm just going to read it because I like it. The Lord of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw towards Mount Tabor and take 10,000 men, the children of Nephtali and the children of Zubalon, and I will draw to you to the rivers of Kishon and Sarah, the captain of the Jebin army and his chariots and multitude, and I will deliver him to your hand. Well, when Barak hears this, he is willing to comply, but he says he's too scared. He needs Deborah to go with him, which should strike you as funny for a military person. And Deborah agrees, but told Barak that now that he's relinquished it to a woman, the honor of capturing him will go to her. So on that day, yes, Deborah does crush the head of evil, um, uh, but it's through a woman. And so um, the Lord sent this torrent, a downpour that flooded the Kishon and mired um, the general's um, invincible armada in the mud. And when he goes to, so he flees. Then the general goes and is met by this other woman, Jael, who says, oh yeah, go ahead and sleep here. And then when he's sleeping, she takes a, a, tank, a, a tent spike and drives it through his head, killing him. So really, on that army, two women crush evil, Deborah and Jael. Um, Deborah is the only woman in the Bible who both ruled Israel and gave military orders with God's blessing. But think about that. That's a woman, two women, who crushed the head of evil. The third, I want to point out, is Judith and the sword of her enemy, Judas personifies bravery. She's a goel. She's brave against those who are once again killing God's people. And before she leaves, she shames the town leaders uh, who are th uh, threatening to surrender to the Assyrians. Um, and instead, Joel's the brave one. She chooses another way, and she crushes the Assyrian siege. So she crushes a snake. And she goes with her loyal maids to the camp of the enemy of the general uh, and ingratiates herself into the camp, promising him information on the Israelites. And once she's gained his trust, um, she's allowed access, um, and he lies there drunk in this drunken stupor, and guess what she does? Cuts off his head. Once again, you have the snake um, being crushed. 
Does that make sense? Um, so it's a woman who crushes um, the Syrians, uh, lost their leader, they disperse, and Israel saved. Um, and Judith remains unmarried the rest of her life. In case you haven't figured out, she's a foreshadowing of the Virgin Mary. Does that make sense? A fourth image is the woman of Thebes, who crushed the head of Abimelech. Abimelech and his forces were once again slaughtering everybody, the Jews. And there's a city, Thebes, and by the time Abimelech breached the walls, the people in the city had already fled and um, blockaded themselves in this fortified tower. And when Abimelech approaches the tower to raise it, a quote-unquote woman, um, Isha, hurls down a runner stone from the roof, which then um, crushes Abimelech's head. And so you're thinking to yourself, what's a runner stone? <laughs> well, remember when they're uh, grinding grain, there'd be a millstone, the big heavy one, and then the runner stone is the one on the top that crushes it. Um, so it's this bread image. But this unnamed woman, um, she's the one who frees the people. Um, she crushes the head of evil. Does that make sense? Did I lose you on that? Because I'm um, fifth woman is the woman of Abel, the wise woman of Abel. She's this unnamed figure, and she appears in Second Samuel when Joab pursues the rebel city of Shebna. Now, the background is that David had returned to Jerusalem after this defeat of Absalom, uh, the defeat of Absalom, and strife rose between the ten tribes and the tribes of Judah, um, and uh, Shebna took advantage of the situation and he starts this revolt against David. And he says, we want no part with David. Um, and so then he and his uh, leaders, followers, um, proceed north. And David, seeing it's necessary to check the revolt, David appoints Abshimni, uh, this mighty men, to take care of it. But Job and Shibni arrive at the city of Abel, and they knew Shebna was hiding there, and they're going to besiege the city. So this unnamed woman of the city, Abel, convinces Joab not to destroy uh, Abel because the people there were scared. They didn't want, they, they're going to let Shebna to hide there. So she told the people of the city, she makes this rousing plea, um, and to expose Shebna, she kills him and throws his head over the wall. <laughs> Once again, oh my gosh, you have the theme of a woman crushing the head of Satan. One more, I'm going to name, I'm going to do seven just so that you get the point. Um, <laughs> Esther, Esther, it, and it's, uh, she crushes the head of um, this evil, the, the king, then the king's advisor. Um, now, the Jews were supposed, just in case you missed the theme, the Jews are always getting attacked. Like, let me just tell you, every Jewish feast, doesn't matter what one it is, it's basically this. They tried to kill us, they missed, we survived. <laughs> so, um, the king uh, in Babylon 
has decided, he takes his advisor's advice that he needs to kill all the Jews, but he needs a wife, and he falls in love with Esther, who he doesn't know secretly is Jewish. Um, and Esther basically convinces him not to uh, kill the Jews. And instead, who gets his head is uh, the advisor. The day the Jews were supposed to be wiped out was February 13th. Um, and so it's through the intercession of Esther that the people were saved and evil had its head um, hung. And the bad advisor, he is hung from the gallows that he prepared to kill all the Jews, but instead it says his head was crushed. Now, why I mentioned February 13th, just a small note, that in the Fatima apparitions happen on the 13th, and Our Lady uh, appeared with Esther's star on her, so the last visionary um, died on February 13th. So there's a strange connection between the Esther, uh, star of Esther and the Fatima one. Um, and the idea is that through the intercession of a woman, evil would be crushed. Um, so you have that one. One more, just in case you missed it. There is this woman named Susanna who is um, uh, two judges try to rape her, uh, these evil judges. And um, she'd rather die than lose her purity. So and I'll skip all the Hebrew. So it looks like she's going to lose. But guess who loses their head? The two evil judges. And it's Susanna's purity that crushed the head of evil. In all those, whether it's intercession, purity, uh, attacking evil, it's a woman who's crushed the head of evil. Does that make sense? So going back to this, um, when you're looking for a snake crusher, you're, all the great figures, are either male or female, they crush the head of evil. Um, all of them have, so it's really both. And have you ever heard that line in scripture, blessed are you among women? Anybody ever heard that? Um, well, blessed are you among women is a military term. Um, two women in the Bible are called blessed are you among women. And it's uh, two of them who crushed the head of evil. And the promise of Genesis is that the child of the woman would crush the head. So Deborah and Jael, both who crushed evil general's head, are and I like this, are called blessed are you among women. And so when Elizabeth greets Mary, what does she say? Blessed are you among women. Now, she's not just saying, oh, you're blessed. She's using a military term that Eve, sorry, uh, Elizabeth, clearly believes that Mary is a fulfillment of Genesis 1, that the seed of Mary will crush the head of evil permanently. Does that make sense? It's not just a compliment. Um, and so in this very ancient church, in the apse, the apse is the curved part by the altar, um, they have this huge mural. Of, in the center is Mary, and then Deborah and Jael next to her. The three women in the Bible who are called blessed are you among women. Um, so my point being is, 
Mary is the fulfillment of a warrior woman. She technically is a goel. Do you guys know what a goel is? Okay, goel is um, like St. Michael the archangel. He's a goel. Um, A goel is God makes some people to be the defender of the weak. And so, um, like, St. Michael is a goel. There's certain people in the scripture, God just makes them tougher, and they will defend the weak. Now, the odd part is, uh, like, Ruth in the Bible, she's one of the, she's called a goel, one of the few. Um, Mary is a goel. So, like, I'm changing that, that she's a warrior woman. She's the fulfillment of Ruth. So, Elizabeth, when she says, blessed are you among women, she's going to say, oh, Mary's going to be part of the force that crushes evil. Um, Elizabeth is talking about that um, uh, prophecy. And this sounds kind of strange. When Elizabeth says that, Mary gives her Magnificat. Now, there's two women in the Bible who say this prayer. Mary's Magnificat mimics Hannah's Magnificat. Hannah, remember, is the mother of Samuel. She was supposed to be barren, but she gives birth to this great prophet. And then when she's found pregnant, she gives this prayer, Magnificat, that her soul uh, proclaims the glory of God. And then the prayer is how she's going to be part of God's plan to overturn evil. Um, Mary's Magnificat is actually read it as kind of this warrior that she's going to start this revolution. Um, Both mothers, Mary and Hannah, lived in a time of oppression and injustice. Both women were on the side of justice. Both women prayed to be on the side of God who turns the world upside down to create justice. So um, let's go back to when... The angel, Gabriel, goes to Mary, and Mary says yes. Mary, I like this. After saying yes, the angel says, know that Elizabeth, your kinswoman, um, is with child because she believes God does impossible things. And Mary immediately starts the 30-mile walk to Elizabeth. And the amazing thing, they were under military occupation, and she walks to Elizabeth without protection. She's in occupied territory. The only thing that guarded her was faith. And when Mary Elizabeth says, blessed are you among women, a warrior image, Mary launches into the Magnificat. So if you don't know what the Magnificat is, I'm just going to say it right now. Um, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon his lowly servant. From this day all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our father, to Abraham, to our fathers and Abraham and his children forever. The only reason why I want to say that, if you listen to the prayer, God is constantly turning the world upside down. Those who are powerful and aggressive and abusing others, 
God always turns upside down. And Mary's Magnificat is that she wants to be in that battle. Use me. Does that make any sense? It's not a soft prayer. It's a provocative prayer. And there's this one image of Mary I think is funny, but I don't like it. Because um, have you ever seen that side view of Mary where she's like, I should have put it up there, but I forgot. Side view of Mary where she's like this praying, and you just see her silhouette. Really, you've never seen that? Anyhow, there's this one artist based on the Magnificat. I like this. Instead of having your hands like this, um, <laughs> she, has her, she has her fist raised, and you can tell it's Mary. And she says, throw down the mighty from their thrones. And so I nicknamed that the Communist Mary. <laughs> um, anyhow, it's like I think we've so tamed Mary that you miss that if she's the new Eve, the fulfillment, it's a warrior image. Yes, it's a mother of all the living, but it's a warrior image. And just a side note, notice how when the angel Gabriel goes to Joseph, he has a different reaction. When Joseph hears that Mary's pregnant and that he's not the father, he doesn't storm off. What does he do? He takes a nap. He goes into stillness. Um, and I do like that because John the Cross says that those who think that they're going to encircle the world with their work uh, would be better to spend time in prayer first. I like that. Um, but Joseph, when he wakes, he immediately does the right thing. Um, Joseph practiced stillness. And I just like Mary because Mary's this image of prayer, but also in her Magnificat, she wants to be with the uh, image of God. So, woman, it is not my hour. That's a ref ref reference to Eve, but also the fulfillment, that the hour where evil will be crushed. And so there's a saint that said, um, I like this, if you understood the power of one Hail Mary, Satan would have no power over us. And so, like, I'm not going to do it, but like our closing prayer really should be um, Mary as the new Eve, Mary as a warrior. How are we going to handle all the attacks of the church? Uh, it's not the innocent. Um, uh, I'm sorry, the attacks of the church and the innocent. It's not to attack like Satan. Satan is going to attack us using fear and anger and uh, violence. We're supposed to be children of Mary. We will attack evil, but we're going to do it by our loyalty, love, and prayer. Does that make sense? But we're still called to be uh, like Mary. Now, there is this story of this one priest um, who he inherited a parish that was dead, so he didn't know how to bring back his parish, so he decides to consecrate the parish to Mary which really, partly that's why I want to have this class. I don't want, like we do this once a year, consecrate ourselves, but I want to consecrate our parish to be to Mary. And now I'm switching it because I, I had to cut back all, some of the classes. I was going to do apparitions of Mary. So just in the remaining 15 minutes, I want to talk about some apparitions of Mary. But before I get into that, 
Do you understand? I just want to make sure I explained it well. Mary is the new Eve, both mother and warrior. And give me some feedback. Is that have you heard that before? Some have. I I love it. Uh, she's not a passive figure. So. Okay. So, what apparitions remind me of Mary as a warrior, uh, crushing evil? Well, my first would be actually um, Our Lady Guadalupe. So, um, like, there's a, a lot of images. Um, but before I get to that, um, like, here's Our Lady of Vietnam, who, um, the one I, the reason why I like that, this one is really odd, is that if you go to New Mexico, there's a place in New Mexico where it has this dirt that, I visited it once, but I don't remember the whole story. Um, has some, you guys know what it is, some miraculous dirt or something like that? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Anyhow, um, if you go to Chimayo, is that how you say it? If you go to Chimayo, um, they have a statue of Mary, and it's Our Lady of Vietnam. And, like, I just kind of think, wouldn't you have, like, a <laughs> Hispanic one? <laughs> and I love how, and this is the point, I love how Mary gets around. <laughs> um, and... <clears throat> The Vietnam one is that there were uh, a bunch of Vietnamese Catholics, I'm just going to, who were getting persecuted and were going to be slaughtered, if you know the story. And Mary appeared holding baby Jesus and basically said, come this way and saved these Vietnamese. Does that make sense? So who saved them from being slaughtered? A woman, Mary. And the reason why it's in New Mexico is that some of the Vietnamese somehow made it to New Mexico, and they put the statue up in New Mexico. And I just love it. But this sounds kind of strange. Once again, it's Mary crushing evil. Um, then, going back here, um, Our Lady Guadalupe. Um, once again, it's Mary crushing evil. Um, hopefully you know the story, but I'll just kind of quickly tell it. Um, Cortez conquers the Aztecs. Um, then he goes back to Spain. His lieutenant, the sociopath, is put in charge. Um, and the Indians come for this celebration. And he thinks, oh my gosh, you know, hundreds of them are coming. And he thinks they're going to attack, so we order them to be slaughtered. And the accounts, even from the Spaniards, is that there was rivers of blood with limbs floating in it. Um, they just slaughtered them. And after that, the uh, Indians, uh, the Spanish said, they just basically gave up. Their birth rate dropped. Their, they just basically were defeated. And Spain sent their 12 best priests, couldn't evangelize them. And then, so 10 years after this anniversary, um, the governor uh, tries to, well, does, or starts to, sell the Indians off as slaves to make money. So, holy cow, on the 10th anniversary of this um, feast, Our Lady Guadalupe appears. And it sounds strange, but the blue is actually turquoise. Only gods 
could uh, wear the color church, kings and gods. So um, she's not wearing it on the inside, which means she would be a god. She's wearing it over her, so she's wrapped in the divine. She's wearing red underneath, which means she's a human wrapped in the divine. She's wearing a black belt, which means she's pregnant. She's, this is not the symbol of prayer in Aztec culture. This is a symbol of offering a gift. She's offering them her child. Um, the little angel and the black moon and the rays, that was painted on later. Just the original is the woman. But in this odd way, she's a mix between an Aztec maiden with Spanish symbols. So she literally is the first Mexican. But here's the thing. Remember, they were slaughtered, being sl sold into slavery. What? And they couldn't make any converts because the Indians couldn't, the Indians practiced human sacrifices. They couldn't understand a god who would sacrifice himself for us. They could understand a mother who's offering them the gift of her child. And after that, uh, millions of them were baptized. Um, they came asking, who is this woman who's offering us her child? But more importantly, this is the warrior image. If you're a Spaniard <coughs> and you're trying to sell these Indians into slavery and slaughter them, and the Virgin Mary comes as one of them, I'm saying that's a bad sign <laughs> if you're a Catholic. Um, but once again, crushed uh, evil was a woman. Um, what else? Oh, oh, Arleta Quebeco. Do you guys know that apparition? Did I mispronounce it? Cabejo, sorry. Um, it's happened in Rwanda. Now, if you notice, every time there's a world war, every time there's a genocide, um, Mary seems to appear beforehand. Um, and in Rwanda, in 1982, she appeared to these three girls. One of them wasn't even Catholic in Rwanda. And the apparitions began November 28th, um, 1981. Um, I should switch to that. Oh, where's that? Well, that's not what I Um, in 1981, uh, there's this increasing tension between the Tutsis and the Hutu groups. And um, the visions she gave these girls included these apocalyptic um, visions of Rwanda descending into violence and hatred um, that eventually did happen in 1994. Um, now, the bishop approved uh, the three girls' visions, but one of them, a fourth one who wasn't um, Christian, uh, her account was rejected because she was trying to profit off it. Um, but their Vatican approved marrying apparitions, and the visions warned about the 1994 genocide. In 100 days, in April 6, 1994, 
Uh, you had the assassination of the president, and then millions of Rwandans slaughtered their countrymen, often their neck-door neighbors, mostly with machetes, which is pretty brutal. Um, and uh, so this genocide happened, um, and there's two huge massacres, and one of them was at the parish church, and the second one was 5,000 refugees who had taken shelter. Um, and one visionary and her husband were among those who were killed in the massacre. But um, anyhow, uh, Mary appears, and once again, it doesn't matter what it is, uh, she's always advocating that we pray for peace and give up hatred. Um, but the point being is that she always appears uh, before war begging us to give up our hatred and anger. Does that make sense? So I love the image of Mary as the new Eve fulfilling. Uh, she will, um, Christ will crush the head of evil, but with us. Does that make sense? So I've gone in hours, so I want to just allow time for feedback or objections. Boring? Uh, yes, Jean's wife. Well, um, to be honest, I, like, I personally worry about the Ukrainians, and I really pray that somehow Mary comes through. But I think, like, the image of Mary, you have to choose. And I know that sounds kind of strange. I like the image of Mary as this reminder to choose which side of the battle you're going to be on. Are you going to take up the forces of Satan, which is anger and hatred, um, dehumanizing other human beings? Are you going to take up the weapons of Mary, which is Christ? That we're going to love our enemy, we're going to defend life, we're going to defend other people. Does that make sense? It, in 2,000 years, the battle is never, you know, it just changes place. Rwanda, Ukraine, Vietnam, Mexico. Um, it's always the same. Oh, are you talking about my hatred towards the Canadians? <laughs> um, well, this is what I really, I think, that kind of evil can break out anywhere and everywhere. The more people's heart are turned to anger, the more it can break out. And here's my real worry, and I was saving this for a retreat, but um, like, holy cow, I've never seen in confessions a time where so much anger. Um, that's the way of Satan. So I think Mary should be this tap down on it. Um, I forget which ones was that Mary and uh, Cabin, Our Lady of Good. Well, I didn't really see that as a warrior one. I saw that as protection, but right. The, and so in Wisconsin, there's this huge fire, um, and they ran to the church and prayed to Mary, and uh, the 
the fire went through the town, but it never touched literally the borders of the church property. It's protection, but it's not really crushing evil. So, I know. Oh, I love Medjugorje. I didn't cover that one. But that's another one where, um, you know, Medjugorje, uh, huge genocide. But once again, before the genocide started, she asked people to turn their hearts from anger and hatred. And Medjugorje, no bombs ever landed there. No, Medjugorje is not. I don't care. I love Medjugorje. Don't you put down Medjugorje. <laughs> All right, well, next week we'll cover, cover Mary as a new ark. So why don't we close? Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Hello, this is Father Len McMillan. I'd like to take a moment to thank you for listening to our podcast if they've been a blessing to you, I'd also like to invite you to prayerfully discern supporting the podcast financially. Your generosity would help support the ongoing production and distribution of the podcast. If you'd like to make a donation, you can simply click the link in the podcast description. Be sure to tell us your donation is for the podcast in the comment section of the submission form. Again, Thank you for your support as we seek to share the good news of the gospel. May God bless you for your generosity.